So this morning, I do not have a Mother's Day message. That's good and that's bad, amen, right? Uh, what I wanted to do, well, first of all, I want to thank all you women in the church. I have four daughters and a wife, so I know what women are like. And uh, you're a real blessing to us. And some of you have been a great encouragement to me over the years here. And I pray that today would be a special day for you. It's often, Mother's Day is a mixed bag of goods, you know. Some people have this great relationship with mom, so the day is the best day ever. Some, you know what, it's not so great, and it becomes more like, okay, how do I do this right, and how do I honor my mom? Some, like me, you know, your mom's passed away over a decade ago, and you just kind of miss her. And a day like this is just nothing but, oh, I'm a little sad, you know. And so it's, it's, it's an it's a interesting day that way. It's not simple like most holidays are not simple. Actually, nothing's simple in life anymore, is it? So anyway, I've said enough. I'm going to move on. We're on week three of our series entitled uh, The Heart of the Matter, and this is about gaining insight into, uh, into uh, spiritual intelligence, how to live our life wisely in such a way that it brings glory to Jesus Christ. And last week, we entered into, in the last couple of weeks actually, into this miniature series within this series that we're doing over the summer, uh, which is all about vices and virtues and the means of grace of, of moving from a vice to a virtue in your life. And I, I ended last week with a chart of the seven deadly sins. Now, some of you are new to us this morning, especially it being a day we do a dedication like this and some, some other things going on. First hour, we had a whole bunch of guests. And so I want to just explain the seven deadly sins to you once again, but I'm going to use a TV show to help you. Anybody ever watch Gilligan's Island? Yeah, I had an email sent to me this week and, um, noting that the seven characters of Gilligan's Island represent the seven deadly sins. I do not think that was on purpose, but this may help you remember the seven deadly sins. So the first deadly sin was pride. And on Gilligan's Island, the man who had a pride issue was the professor. He was a genius and smart, and he trusted in his you know, wisdom. And so he had and illustrates the issue of pride. And then you go to Mr. Howell. You remember him? The millionaire, rich dude. His issue was greed. He struggled with greed. And then you go to Ginger. Remember what Ginger, who Ginger was? The movie star. And the movie star. Remember they'd sing that? And she was always speaking the ah, ah, voice. Hers is lost. And then you had poor Marianne, just always wanted to be like Ginger, never measuring up, never quite the movie star. Her issues, envy. Then you go back to Mrs. Howell. I don't know if I agree with this one or not, but I think someone had to get stuck with it. They say hers is anger. I don't distinctly remember her being an angry person, but you know, there's seven characters. Somebody has to get stuck with anger, right? Then you go to the skipper. His is gluttony. And you go to Gilligan himself and his slothfulness. So there you go. Seven characters on Gilligan's Island, seven deadly sins. Can you remember them now? Not at all, right? But you remember that somehow Gilligan's Island relates to the seven deadly sins. Anyway, that's just how that works. So I wouldn't put much into this other than it's a little bit of fun to open up the message this morning. Today we begin the actual look of a vice and a virtue and the means of grace. And the vice we're going to look at this morning specifically is pride. Listen to this scripture. It's from Luke chapter 18, verses 11 through 14. The Pharisee stood by himself, and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get, 
But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat on his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Understand this, though. We read this and we go, oh, okay. All those things that the Pharisee did, they don't matter at all. That's not the point of the story. In fact, in that culture, in that time, the Pharisee would have been viewed as a religious, righteous man. And he was probably a model. Think about it. He didn't just go to worship when he was in trouble. He was there every week. He was consistent. He was regular. He made an effort to be holy. He was making an effort to be a faithful man. Um, He was one that would probably model his life after the words penned in the Psalms. He was way more faithful than a tax collector. He would have been considered a decent, devout follower of God. On top of this, he's a giver. Whoa, he gives a tenth to the temple. He was probably a pillar of the temple at that time. The tax collector. Now, on the other hand, get this about the tax collector. He was a Jew who accumulated his wealth by collaborating with the Roman soldiers to confiscate other people's property. This was akin to stealing. He stole from his fellow Jews. He used back taxes as an excuse to become wealthy. He was disloyal to his national heritage, and he was disloyal to his religious background. He was creating personal wealth at the expense of brothers and sisters. The Pharisee was zealous for his faith. He fasted twice a week. He's an overachiever. Know anybody like that? He, I'm sure, was convinced that if I had these right inputs into my life, the right result will come out of it all. But here's the issue. He committed a sin. C.S. Lewis, uh, author and Christian writer, called the sin of pride the great sin. And in comparison, C.S. Lewis said this, when comparing pride to other sins, by comparison, uncharity, anger, greed, and drunkenness are mere flea bites. When you look at them, in the light of pride. The problem for the Pharisee was that his sin was so great, it outshadowed all these other things he was trying to do, spiritually speaking, in his life. So this vice we're looking at this morning is pride. It's considered the great sin, the source of all other sins. Do you know pride personally? How did your week go? How'd you do with your little pride experiment? Did you talk about yourself all week? I went out from here, and about two and a half hours later, I was golfing, and I was talking all about myself. I said, I failed right away. All right. How about you? How long did it take you to fail? An hour, two hours, three hours, half an hour, 15 minutes? I think it's easier for us to see pride in other people, right? Think about this. You can look at others, and you can see their pride when they talk about their great careers or the fortunes that they make or their athletic abilities, um, They boast about, you know, the intelligence of their children and their grandchildren or whatever. And you go, wow, they're just boastful people. We don't see it in ourselves. Let me talk about how this can manifest 
in your, manifests itself in yourself, okay? Put yourself into my first-person dialogue here. Don't think this about me, although it does apply to me. Think about this in your own life. Pride is seen in my life when I'm irritated by someone who has corrected me. Has that ever been your case? Has anybody ever corrected you and you go, well, thank you. I'm humbled by that. I was entirely wrong. I never knew that. Is that your first reaction? Your first reaction is to think, who are you, right? And especially if you think you're right and they're wrong. Pride is when I'm upset with the domineering personality because that means I'm not center stage. No one's listening to what I have to say. No one even seems to care what I have to say. That's pride. Pride is seen when I make a small remark when I've made a contribution to a project or a work or something and nobody seems to be recognizing that I've contributed and I make this small remark, well, yeah, I did something here too. That's pride because you need to be recognized. I think pride is more prevalent than we ever, ever realize. I think it dominates our life way more than we want to admit. What is pride? Pride is a swelling of the heart filled with self-importance. It's just a swelling of the heart, and it's usually filled with self-importance. I think this is a great definition. It is a desire to be more than we are created to be. And a great example was seen in the Garden of Eden where the temptation was to Adam and Eve, you'll be like God. In fact, let's go back there for a moment. Um, in the fall of mankind, the serpent came to, to, to Adam and Eve, and he tempted them basically with the sin of pride. He said to Eve, you can eat that fruit. You can eat that stuff forbidden because God knows once you eat it, what? You'll be like whom? God. You'll be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And so what was really, the appeal was really to a desire to be more than we were created to be. We'll be like God. That was the initial sin that man succumbed to. So I see this. Today, this thing still is a problem. People reject God, and then they think, I am God. I'm in charge of my life. I can do what I want. I'm part of this becoming a God thing. You know, you hear all this kind of talk. You know what that is? It's the same original sin. It got us way back then. It still gets people like crazy today. I can be like God. I can manage my own life. I can do as I want. That, my friends, is nothing more than pride and the sin of pride. Last week, I talked a little bit about Pope Gregory the Great. He saw sin as a tree, and I like this picture. The root is pride, and from that grows up vainglory, and then all the branches come out from that, and he used words like disobedience and boasting and hypocrisy and contentions and to, to describe some of those old sins. But the root, the base of it all, was pride. Augustine said pride was a turning from God and turning towards ourselves. That's the essence of pride. Now, when I was speaking about these vices um, last week, we used this little bit of a, a picture of, it's a, a lot like a, a snake and the bite and the venom it leaves behind these vices. And we can see that definitely in the case of pride. What is behind pride is this, literally the serpent, the devil. And what is really behind that whole 
issue of pride is the devil's whispering to us, you can be like God. You can be like God. You can run your own life. You can be in control. You don't really need to submit. That's the philosophy. And then the bite is when we say, yeah, I can be like God. I can do this myself. Uh, and it's a rejection of the authority and the control and the sovereignty of God in our lives. And you know what? It manifests itself in that we become contentious, self-centered, you know, self uh, you know whatever you want to call people, selfish uh, uh, people. And, and then oftentimes the way we see that manifested is it, that we're short with others. We think we know everything. We become condescending and rude. Uh, we boast to seek attention. We replay mental vid- videos. I don't know if you do this, but I, this is definitely the bite of pride in my life is if you give a presentation, then you go and you rerun the whole thing in your mind. It's a mental video. You ever do that? And you think, oh, I wonder how I was perceived. I wonder if people like me. I, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's the bite of pride. And you know what the venom of pride is? This lingering effect that we have of pride is that we do the right things for the wrong reasons. So we act humble because why? As a follower of God, we know we're supposed to be what? Humble. No one wants to be known as being a proud person. So we act humble so people will see that we're humble. We give generously so people will think, that's a generous person. We're doing it for the recognition. That's precisely what the Pharisee did. And that's the great sin of pride. That's the lingering effects of pride. Originally, God said to Adam in the garden, it's not good for you to be alone, bud. I'm going to create someone for you that will fill that void in your life. And Eve came onto the scene, right? And initially it was bliss. It was wonderful. But then they succumbed to sin. And the blame game began. Adam said, she made me do it. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And human beings have been blaming one another ever since the fall of mankind for their problems of pride. And you know what's sad? Once again, Adam's alone. Think about it. He was alone to start with, and after the fall, he's alone once again. That's what pride does to us. Pride causes us to turn inward to ourselves and away from others. It causes us to turn inward to ourselves and away from others. So now we kind of defined it just a little bit. Um, Traditionally, it's thought that the virtue of humility is what offsets pride, right? It should displace pride. In fact, it should. Humility should displace pride in our lives. But here's how it's approached, and it's wrongly approached. you got a pride problem, someone will say to you, and they earnestly mean it, you need to be more humble. <laughs> you know, that's like telling a deaf person, listen to what I'm about to tell you. A proud person doesn't see it, they can't hear it, they don't know what to do. It's like saying to someone who can't hear, listen up. And then if they don't listen, you speak a little louder. Like that's going to help. This is an issue of self-awareness and God-awareness. It's an issue of wisdom, not necessarily trying uh, to be humble. And the means of grace that God has given us to really deal with pride is really right-mindedness. We have this picture uh, um, that should pop up here. Really, to move from pride, the means of grace, the bridge that leads from the vice of pride to the virtue of humility is right-mindedness. It bridges us from pride to humility. It's not about saying, I'm proud, I need to work on humility. It's about understanding I need to begin to think rightly 
so that the product of that thinking rightly is then an attitude and a stature of humility. And then I'm operating under humility instead of operating under pride. Let me talk about how this works for just a, a couple uh, of minutes here, and I'm going to use some scripture. So much of the Proverbs talk about this idea of, of wisdom, and they personify wisdom as a woman, and they, it tells us in the Bible, marry wisdom, marry right-mindedness. Then in contrast to that, there's frequent scripture especially in the Proverbs, where it, it, it kind of contrasts right-mindedness to wrong-mindedness or folly. And folly also says, marry me. And if you marry folly, it leads to wrong thinking and ultimately leads to pride. So let me use a, an example here from Proverbs chapter 9. I'll read some of this to you to kind of see how this works. In this scripture, we see this invitation by both wisdom and folly, right-mindedness and folly, to come and basically partner with them. Wisdom has built her house. She has set it up in uh, its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Now jump down to verse 10 because this is the insight she invites us into. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. So, right away, the first thing we see in this psalm or excuse me, Proverbs 9, it was, we see that, that wisdom is personified as a woman saying, come marry me, basically, and be a wise person. And the beginning of really getting life is understanding the fear of the Lord. It's seeing who you are and seeing who God is. It's a right-mindedness. Now, folly is now personified next. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple, knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on the seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple. Does this sound familiar? It's the same kind of language. It also calls for us to follow it. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are deep in the realms of the dead. So basically, let's talk about what is behind pride and what is behind humility here for a moment. Here's what is behind pride. Folly, wrong-minded thinking is behind pride, and it leads you to live then for a good time, for gratification, for self-gratification. It leads you to be driven by your senses and fulfillment of impulses. There's a way that seems right to a man but in the end, it leads to death. That's the case of folly. This is thinking wrongly about life and what life is all about. Folly is about having a what? Good time. You know, it's about your corona moment with the lemon or lime or whatever they do all the time. This is, I said, really? That's the, that's, the, that's the height of your good time? It's going to a beach and drinking a beer? Really? That's a sad statement. Think about that. I didn't say that first hour. It just came to my mind. Anyway, the serpent appealed to Eve's senses. 
the forget, forbidden fruit looked good. It was good for food. How do you know that? You've never eaten it before. How do you know it's good for food? And, and it was good for gaining, desirable for gaining wisdom. Sense gratification, that thinking leads us to wrong-mindedness. It's folly, and it'll lead ultimately to self-gratification and selfish motivations and to pride. That's where it takes us. Now let's talk about what's behind wisdom, or what's behind humility. Excuse me. Wisdom is behind humility, and it leads you then to live what I call a good life, the right life, the best life, a godly life. Um, I could have said godly life there instead of good life. If you'd rather have that in there instead of good, that's a, a, a good substitute. But this is a, a self-awareness on your part of knowing who you are, and it's also a God-awareness of knowing who God is. And it's interesting to me when you look at these two invitations, they both kind of say the same thing. All you who are simple, come. Folly invites the simple, and wisdom invites the simple. Here's the thing I don't think we like to admit. We're simple. We all start out there. We think we're smart. But think about that. In comparison to God, we, we are simple. Amen? And something's going to lure us into its way of life. Will it be folly or will it be wisdom becomes the question. Folly will make us do the silliest things. Steve Deneff talks about such a case um, when he shares uh, in, his, in, 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 in some writing about um, pride and humility. Listen to what he says. I can really relate to this because recently I went to the Denver airport, so this is still on my mind. He says this, the real cause of our pride is the failure to see ourselves as we really are. I'm thinking of the man who pushed his way to the front of a long line at the Denver airport, insisting that he be served first. I have to be on this flight, he said, and it has to be first class. I'm sorry, the woman said at the counter, but I have to serve the other passengers who are here first. I'll be with you in a moment. The man became angry, and he refused to move. Do you know who I am? He bellowed in a loud enough voice to be heard by everyone at the gate, but the woman was unimpressed. She calmly grabbed the public address microphone, and in a voice that could be heard across the terminal, she said, may I have your attention, please? We have a passenger here at the gate who does not know who he is. If anyone here can help him with his identity, please come to the gate at once. As the man retreated to the back of the line, the people at the terminal burst into applause. And I tell you what, I would have been doing that too. Yay, right? Especially if it wasn't me. Um, to know who we are, to have someone help us with our identity, that's the way of wisdom. But the converse can be said. If we don't know who we are, and if we pursue the wrong kinds of things, that's the way of folly. One's right-minded thinking, the other's wrong-minded thinking. One leads to pride, one leads to humility. In the proverb we read this morning, both wisdom and folly invite the uninformed. And we have to become one to say, which one of these is going to direct me? The wisdom of God or the foolishness of this world? Wisdom of God takes us right away to the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of understanding. It's the beginning of having a right God-awareness and a right self-awareness. And you know what? God wanted us to know who he was, so much so that he sent his son in person 
to tell us who God is, to give us this personal up-close look at who he's all about. And Jesus shows up, and he brings God awareness to a high level on our part if we'll just listen. And, 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 and the more we get to know who Jesus is, the more we understand what life's about and that he's in the process of restoring uh, people. I love that, that picture that I, I, I shared with you last week about the guy that was restoring an old Pontiac GTO. And he had the potential uh, in his mind of what this old clunker was going to look like. And I love that picture to me that it paints that, that God somewhere, I think, in heaven has a picture of you and me and what we're supposed to look like. I, whether you post it on the fridge or not, I don't think so. I don't think there's refrigerators in heaven. But, but he puts a picture up. This is what I have in mind for you. This is what I see when I see you. You're a clunker right now. You're a disassembled bunch of rust parts. But I have this potential for you, and I want you to step into and become the person you're meant to become in me. And, and I tell you what, right-mindedness and right thinking and adhering to God's wisdom will take us that way. Folly will take us away from God's potential for us. We do not conquer our pride by trying to be humble. Did you hear that? We conquer our pride by understanding who we are and who God is, and it pushes us towards humility. And then that humility displaces pride. Amen? It just displaces it out of our lives. So let's talk about the virtue of humility. Humility is the palpable logic of people who are in the right mind. That's a Steve Deneff quote. That's a great, I've been thinking, I love that quote. Humility is the palpable logic of people who are in the right mind. People who are in the right mind have such a God-awareness going on and such a self-awareness going on that you see they live utterly differently. You can touch it. That's what Papa means. You can touch it. You can, it's real. It's not fake. It's not disingenuine. It's real. It's not the Pharisee saying, see, look at me. I'm doing all these great things. It's just living it out loud to the point where people say, wow, that's tangible. I see it in you. When you live like that, then you're entering into the realm of humility. See, humility is knowing who God is and knowing who you are, basically. That's humility. It's understanding what Jesus has done for you, who you are in Jesus Christ, and how you fit into his plans. I'm going to end this morning with some practice tips for you in the pursuit of wisdom. If we really want to pursue wisdom, there's some things we can do. And as we pursue wisdom, then I think the byproduct of that is the virtue of humility. So let's talk about some practices of wisdom that lead to humility. The first one is practice God-awareness and practice self-awareness. Practice God-awareness, practice self-awareness. Theodore Roosevelt was known for doing this self-awareness thing pretty well. President Theodore Roosevelt had a routine habit, almost a ritual. Every now and then, along with naturalist William Beebe, he would step outside at dark, look into the night sky, find the faint spot of light at the lower left corner of Pegasus, and one of them would recite, this is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is, a large, it is large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our own sun. There would be a pause, and Roosevelt would grin and say, now I think we feel small enough. Let's go to bed. Self-awareness. Self-awareness. And then there's self-awareness all over the, or excuse me, God-awareness opportunities all over in the Bible. Listen to Psalm 8. It's a God-awareness psalm. Listen to what it says. 
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is that? That's nothing more than a God-awareness psalm. Amen? And we need to read those things that way. Say, okay, God, this is who you are. This is who I am. And if, as we're doing that, we're exercising wisdom that leads to humility. Second way to do this. Be teachable. Listen to and follow wise teachers. I think this is one of the most vital ways to gain true humility is to admit, I need to listen to and follow wise teachers in my life. You'll see with better clarity what you're supposed to do, but also it's this attitude that other people can speak into my life, things that I don't yet know. And I'm going to be a submissive, teachable human being. Proverbs 15.22 says this, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Also what succeeds in your life when you have this attitude is humility. Why do we have to reinvent everything? Oftentimes we just need to go talk to somebody and it's amazing the insight they can have for our lives, right? Number three, it says small disciplines can encounter big habits of pride. Often where we compromise in our lives is what are seemingly small and insignificant things. For instance, someone might say, wow, you did a wonderful job. I'm so impressed with what you did on all this. Well, in the back of our minds, while we're taking credit for all this, we've, we don't deflect the praise to the eight other people that were involved with this on that thing. We say, yeah, 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 I'm pretty great, aren't I? We unintentionally do that. And it's often very small things that trip us up. We pass on the opportunity to praise someone for making a contribution or to give glory to God. Here's what, one of the things that I'm really working on hard, I love this. Don't chatter about things that don't matter. Don't chatter about things that don't matter. Don't get sucked into a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter, especially if it's slanderous. Don't chatter with somebody when they're slandering somebody else. It doesn't matter. Do not do that. In fact, sometimes if you want to look brilliant in life, just don't speak that much. Right? The Bible says that. You'll look smart. Sometimes you'll look really smart just by not saying anything. Sometimes when people start talking, they say, oh, oh, I thought you were smart. You're not. Don't chatter about things that don't matter. <laughs> I got a little laugh out of that, but it's kind of true. Just watch out what you're saying. You know, have a quiet, constrained speech. We, just, we live in a culture that people think, I should just say anything that comes to my mind. Social media says that. I said, oh, no, they didn't say Really? You put that on social media? Are you a what in the world? Why would you do that? Don't chatter about things that don't matter. And then, lastly, become genuinely interested in others. One great way to combat pride and to foster humility it's to, to practice genuine interest in others. Look them in the eye. Listen to what they have to say. Don't have a personal agenda. Be vetted in the conversation and, 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 and just be vested in them at that moment. And just don't have an agenda other than to know that person more and to value them more. 
Do that in some of your conversation. That, my friends, is wisdom that leads to humility. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So we're going to enter into a moment of prayer to close out with this morning. But before I say this, uh, or uh, have this prayer, I want to just remind you that if you have a, a prayer need, you can go to the chapel over here, and there's a, a group of people that will gladly pray uh, for you. Also, I want to say this too. Next week, we're going to talk on generosity as a virtue versus greed as the vice. And the way to get from greed to generosity is having the correct hope. But here's what I want you to do as an exercise this week. These things are going to mean a lot more to you if you actually try to do them during the week. Amen? You know, if you, if you, I thought about pride a lot this week, and I realized I'm a very proud person. How about you? Because if you don't do that exercise, you'll come here today and go, whatever. Do the exercise. So this week I'm going to say to you, be generous. Look for opportunities to be generous. And don't have to be heard about your generosity, because that's the Pharisee's fault. Look at me. Look how great I am. Be generous. Generosity is more than money. Generosity is a philosophy of life. It's looking at other people and giving some time to them. It's talking about what they want to talk about even if you don't want to talk about it. That's being generous. Generosity is a smile when you don't feel like being one who smiles. It's, it's bringing yourself into submission to what God would have you do. It's, it's when you're in the store, I mean, stop and talk for a minute. I mean, I know I'm a pastor. I could stop and talk for hours because people see me and they know me, you know. And sometimes they think, I don't have time for this. And other times I think, I don't have time not to do this. Right? Be generous. And it, it does mean your money. There's no way to get around that. Be generous. Be generous. Just do the exercise and see if that doesn't make the uh, message next week more impactful. Uh, we need to pray right now. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for uh, this opportunity to talk for a few minutes on this vice of pride, uh, this virtue that's to displace pride, and the way it displaces pride is probably by the means of grace, of right-mindedness. So what I pray for, Lord, is that you would grace us to be right-minded people, to have a, a healthy self-awareness of who we are, a healthy self-awareness of who you are, God, and to think accordingly. And I think if we do think accordingly to those kinds of things, Lord, that the byproduct is humility. So I pray for us, Lord, to be one to put into practice some of the things we talked about when it comes to wisdom, that uh, we would exercise our self-awareness and God-awareness, even with some maybe mechanical ways at first, where just we're doing it, uh, you know, by reading a psalm or by saying, now I'm going to think about who I am for a bit. But I pray it become natural, uh, just a natural way that we view life. And uh, God, I, I know that uh, you'll, you'll uh, grace us to do these kinds of things. And Lord, I pray that some of these other things we pra I talked about practicing, that we would do those also, Lord, so that we are uh, thinking right and that we're right-headed, Lord. And I really, really do believe in all my heart, Lord, that creates humility. Because the more we know who you are, God, the more we should become aware of who we are and the more we should be humbled that you'd have anything to do with us, Lord. Thank you for your great love and mercy shown to us, Lord. We just love you and praise you today. And pray that, God, we would be people known as humble followers of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, hey, God bless you. Have a great week.